We are back, and I and I don't know whether we congratulated the small nation of Croatia for its uh, it's almost going all the way in the World Cup. The Croats fell um, fell to the French, and I think this was an example of the advantages of colonialism <laughs> because you look at poor Croatia, which was never a colonial power and has only four odd million people in the country, and France is what. 12, 15 times larger, and had to draw among its population lots of people from all over the world. It appears that people from former African colonies dominated the French team, for which we say more power to them, but boy, Croatia was really at a disadvantage. Anyway, we like Croatia, we like Croatians, and we, we you know, are, want to give them an attaboy for how well they did. No, we're not against the French either. I believe I have a significant French genetic component, in fact. But anyway, viva the World Cup, and let's do it again in four years. Longer if we can, but I guess we have to do it in four. Mr. Millen points out this is possibly the most positive thing I've ever said about the sport of soccer. Are you feeling okay? Uh, Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the jerks that run Silicon Valley. Poor Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook stock is taking a dump. This week, with the news that it didn't meet its earning expectations. Further proof that the mentality that runs Wall Street has completely commandeered these mega corporations operating out of Silicon Valley. It's funny that they've been taking a lot of hits for the fact that, well, they seem to have played a significant role in giving us the Trump presidency, which uh, some find a little objectionable. But they're not taking a hit because of the fake news, because of the bots, because of their bad policies, uh, yada, 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 Cambridge Analytica, etc. They're taking a hit because their earnings went down a bit and people are saying, well, you know, we've got so many people on Facebook, where's the room to expand? We've got like 2.5 billion people signed up now. How many more are we going to be able to add to this? I don't know whether this logic is correct or not, but that's what so-called experts are claiming is, um, as the reason for why the stock is taking a tumble. I'm not sure they don't deserve some bad things to happen to the corporation. Alfred Ng and Joan Slossman, writing in CNET.com, as repeated in The Week magazine, noted that Facebook can't get its story straight on fake news. The social media giant hosted a group of tech journalists at its Manhattan offices a week ago with the aim of showcasing its efforts to fight misinformation. But the company's commitment to that battle is far from clear. When asked how the platform could claim to be tackling fake news while simultaneously allowing the fringe right conspiracy site InfoWars to operate a page with nearly one million followers, Facebook news feed head John Hegman replied that InfoWars hadn't actually broken Facebook's rules. The company does ban outlets that promote violence and hate speech, he explained, but just being false doesn't violate Facebook standards. Facebook, he added, is a place for different publishers with different points of view. Signing off on that, Oliver Darcy at CNN.com said InfoWars doesn't simply produce different points of view. It deliberately spreads false information. It is suggested that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax staged by child actors. And this is the one I just can't get enough of. And that NASA is running a child sex slave colony on Mars. We would note with some horror that NASA, a couple of weeks ago, actually had to officially deny that it was running a child sex slave colony on the Red Planet. 
You know, and Elon Musk is one of the guys we like the most out of, out of the, the, the high-tech people, and he's taken a hit in the fact that he got very testy about pulling a bunch of his, um, his experts off, off the rocket programs and things to design a miniature submarine to rescue that kid, those kids stuck in a cave over in Thailand. When the Thai authorities told him this, this was not going to work, he then attacked them. Well, we generally like Elon, so we're going to give him, give him a pass on that one. One guy we're not sure we like is Bay Area Venture Capitalist. In fact, we're not sure we like anybody, <laughs> any name that comes after Bay Area Venture Capitalist. In this case, the guy's name is Tim Draper. He's a knucklehead that wants to split California into three different states. I used to joke years ago that maybe we should do this, given the alien culture we find down in Los Angeles and Orange County, although I did... Always add the caveat that if we do split California into two, we, we really must keep San Diego and Northern California. Anyway, in Draper's plan, Cal- Northern California will start just south of Merced. Fresno will be in Southern California, along with San Diego. And what is described as California will be from Los Angeles County up through Monterey County. Now, Orange County... It looks like in Draper's plan will be part of Southern California. This is all goofy nonsense. If California passes this initiative, the United States government gets to do a thumbs up or thumbs down on whether you can split your state. And I didn't realize that California actually passed such a resolution back in like 1859. It went on to Congress, which sat on it and is still sitting on it piece in the East Bay News did note that yeah, California tried this before in 1859 with approval from voters in Southern California. The legislature asked Congress to approve their separation from the northern from their northern neighbors. Congress, notes the article, declined to act. Frankly, we think that Congress is not likely to give California, well, what is currently California, four more senators. And if you're a uh, progressive-minded citizen, I think you should not think this is such a great idea because, well, I think one of the reasons Draper's probably doing this is that it will break up California's block of votes in Electoral College, which are pretty reliably blue at this point. Split California the way Draper would like to, and you can pretty much guarantee that Southern California is going to go red. The north part of the state will probably remain safely blue as to what California will do. Well, it, it, quote-unquote California, Monterey down to Los Angeles would do. I imagine that would stay, stay pretty firmly blue. But do we want to, in effect, gerrymander 12 more electoral votes for the Republicans? I think not. All right, let's do some good, bad, and ugly. As in the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week for karma last month, we would note, with the news that a group of rhino poachers who broke into a South African animal reserve were eaten by a pride of lions. Officials in South Africa said they found the remains of what appeared to be three poachers along with high-powered rifle, an axe, some shoes, and some clothing. The officials noted everything was very spread out. Yeah, I think we made previous mention of that story, but it's just so good we have to do it again. And it was a good week last week 
for not pressing charges with the news that a Virginia man playing pickup basketball in a gym called the police when he was knocked to the ground by what he felt was an illegal screen. The responding officer reminded the players to be civil. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for selective editing when it was revealed that after a photo of President Trump's prepared damage control statement asserting his belief in Russian elections interference showed he'd crossed out a line pledging to bring, quote, anyone involved in that meddling to justice, unquote. Ouch! And it was a bad week some weeks back for evidently a new version of the protocols of the elders of Zion with the news that an Iranian general has blamed Israel for the ongoing drought in Iran, alleging that Jews are working, quote, to ensure clouds entering Iranian skies are unable to release rain, unquote. Now, we here at Radio Parallax have been, we think, justifiably critical of the Israeli government in the past for many of its actions. But we're going to have to give Israel a pass on this one. And we'd have to say it was an ugly week for showing off with a pair of new polls revealing that up to 99% of heterosexual women would prefer not to be seen with their partner while he's wearing a form-fitting Speedo-type bathing suit. Said Matthew Smith of pollster YouGov, our research shows that some things really are better left to the imagination. (laughs) And it was surely an ugly week a week or two ago for setting a good example with the news that Al-Shabaab, the Somali-based militant Islamic group that has massacred thousands of civilians, has announced a ban on plastic bags in its territory because the bags pose, quote, a serious threat to well-being of both humans and animals, unquote. We have the Week magazine to thank for all of those items and this one, one final piece of Only in America. Evidently, two Stanford University researchers are now arguing in a new study that the statement, girls are as good as boys in math, perpetuates sexist stereotypes. The 21-page paper claims the statement's grammatical structure contradicts its ostensible content, assuming the truth of male math superiority. Comparing women to a male standard, researchers say, could be discouraging to women interested in math. For his part, President Trump has corrected his statement that he wouldn't say girls are as good as boys in math with the new version where he says they thinks that he thinks that they would be. Here's another story from the week we just we just have to like. In the run-up to her 107th birthday, Maida Lewis was asked by her hospice nurse if there was anything she'd ever dreamed of doing. The Oklahoman replied she'd always wanted to ride in a convertible like she was in a parade. Words who'd spread about the birthday wish, and on the centenarian's big day, hundreds of confetti-throwing residents of her hometown of Stillwater turned out to cheer Lewis as she was driven down Main Street in a silver convertible while wearing a sparkly tiara, pink sunglasses, and diamante-studded sash. Stillwater resident Carmen Steele said the show of community spirit just shows what Stillwater is made of. And, oh, I've just stumbled upon the stat that identifies the numbers in regarding the French soccer team's World Cup victory. Apparently, according to the Los Angeles Times, of the 23 members of the French team, 16 came from immigrant families, mostly from Africa. 
We don't think that's going to make an impression on Republicans that are doing their best to stop immigration in America, but something about if you want to win the World Cup. And speaking of not the World Cup, but the World Wide Web, which we need a little more bagging on here, we want to note that the inventor of the World Wide Web is horrified by what has become of his creation. Katrina Brooker, writing in Vanity Fair, notes that computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee, who came up with the idea for the web in 1989 while working at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, known as CERN, his greatest innovation was to give away the source code for free, letting anyone build their own applications using the technology. Said Berners-Lee, the spirit there was very decentralized. The individual was incredibly empowered. It was all based on there being no central authority that you had to go to to ask permission. Shaking his head, he now says, that feeling of individual control, that empowerment, is something we've lost. Berners-Lee says he's disturbed by the way Silicon Valley companies such as Google, Facebook, and Amazon have monopolized whole categories of online activity, and he's aghast at the rampant spying by government agencies. The web, he says, has failed instead of served humanity and has become anti-human. Berners-Lee believes that everyone should demand better. Enough is enough. Get out your magic marker and your signboard and your broomstick and go out on the streets. Wow. Oh, and speaking of Amazon, to back up the claims of Mr. Tim Berners-Lee, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder and CEO, is now the richest person in modern history. His net worth reached $150 billion this past week which puts him $55 billion ahead of the world's second richest man, Microsoft's Bill Gates. Remember when the government decided that Amazon didn't need to pay local taxes because it was a struggling company and needed help, needed an advantage versus people who have already previously established? To our amazement, we reported on this program about a month ago that Congress is finally now backing off on that. I thought they'd backed off on it a long time time ago. I don't know the details on this, but if you do, and some of you do, do not hesitate to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Oh, and according to politico.com, the S&P 500 is up 2.6% in 2018, but it turns out technology stocks make up almost all of that. Most of those gains came from Facebook, until the recent downturn, I presume, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Without those stocks, the S&P would be down 0.7%. Meanwhile, closer to home in Silicon Valley, where this program is currently being recorded, um, the boosterism is just over the top. The East Bay Times reported a week or so ago that the Bay Area economy is now the 19th largest in the world. They note that primarily driven by Silicon Valley, the nine-county region surges in economic global rankings. Never mind the fact that housing prices are out of sight and traffic is absurd. They understand partially retribution for uh, the techies taking over San Francisco. The government there is trying to keep them from being able to supply free lunches to their employees. Not sure how that's going to work out. Although Radio Parallax does endorse the principle 
that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. But instead of looking around and realizing that the expansion of the Bay Area cannot continue without having catastrophic consequences for the quality of life in the region, the powers that be in Silicon Valley seem to want to take a page from uh, that of global warming deniers and just say that, well, no, that's, that's not the problem. We're not the problem. No, not at all. The problem is all of these NIMBY people out there. They don't want us to build skyscrapers all over the place in which we can, which we can pack with H-1V workers. Oh, and by the way, the Trump administration's uh, raging against immigrants apparently is denting the number of successful applications for H-1B visas in the Bay Area. We'll see where that goes. We did a little comedy thing on this program about a decade ago where we made fun of people who poked fun at NIMBYs, which we called Yimby. Yes, in my backyard, so that people could advocate smokestack belching industries right next to where they live. And in this comedy skit, we had um, <laughs> one of our Weasley characters uh, advertise that he could turn people out. If you hired him, he would turn people out to go to city council meetings, and they would say, yes, yes, please, put an animal fat rendering plant, you know, right down the street from where I live. Go upwind. I think it'd be great. And our surprise when in the Bay Area, a group actually formed called Yimby. <laughs> its goal being to just, you know, knock all these zoning laws into, into the wastebasket and just start over and build the way you want to build, the way Jeff Bezos would want to build, the way Sergey Brin would want to build, the way Jeff Zuckerberg would like to build. Build to their advantage, not necessarily to any of the rest of we peons who live here. So we sort of think that Yimby is probably being, well, we know for a fact it is being funded by Silicon Valley interests and and real estate interests, which, to our way of thinking, makes it more of an astroturf movement than a real grassroots one. But uh, from, from our position, it looks as though this is probably the wave of the future. Case in point, we're citing a Los Angeles Times article held by Adam Elmark, Ruben Veeves, and Angel Jennings, which I, I think I'll just quote from. Residents of Compton have complained about brown, smelly water coming out of their taps for more than a year. When officials began talking about dissolving the troubled local water district, the area's congresswoman scheduled a town hall meeting so community members could weigh in. Before the day arrived, however, an ad appeared on Craigslist offering, quote, political advocacy, unquote, work to African-Americans and Latinos promising to pay $40 with the possibility of a bonus. A sea of critics showed up at the forum denouncing the Sativa Los Angeles Water County District. Among them was a smaller contingent of defenders holding up signs with slogans such as Bad Water Myth Created. Berrigan, Democrat from San Pedro, started the meeting by suggesting that some in the audience had been paid to pose as residents supporting the district, although she did not say who she believed was behind the ruse or accusing anyone specifically. Cole Edwards said in an interview with the Times before the meeting that the Water District had hired him to place the Craigslist ad and find supporters. The Times reviewed text messages and emails he said he exchanged with a district official along with a list of questions supporters were to ask at the forum. He said the plan was to hide the Water District's involvement. Spokesmen for the district, which serves parts of working class Compton and Willowbrook, have strongly denied that it hired the supporters. Anyway, hiring your supporters to show up at city council meetings. It's probably been going on for decades, but 
Well, it's definitely going on now. How does this differ from the Yimby people advocating for housing in the Bay Area? Well, as far as we can see, it doesn't. One so-called solution to this problem being advocated by these Silicon Valley moneyed interests is to institute rent control. The tech workers are complaining about how their large salaries and large numbers are causing, through the actions of the free market, to see housing prices spike. They don't like that, so their solution is, we'll just put a cap on them. Maybe the advocates can bring up people from Daniel Ortega's Nicaragua or Hugo Chavez's Venezuela or perhaps Fidel Castro's Cuba to come up here and show folks how well this can be done. Oh, and in news from Cuba, it turns out the government (laughs) apparently is now saying, I don't know, for the umpteenth time that it's going to officially recognize some private property. Poor Cuba. We've got about four minutes left, and we have a choice of talking about either how we are all ripped off by corporate mergers or pineapples. I think we're going to go with pineapples. Although in a future installment of this program, we will talk a bit about corporate mergers, especially about the companies that make eyeglasses. But that's for another day. Let us instead close with the last word of the July 27th edition of the week. And yes, we do rely upon the week for the production of this program because it is just so bloody concise. On those weeks when there is no published magazine, we still manage to find the same items, but it just takes a lot of extra time. Anyway, back to the last word, back to the week. The article was titled, How the Pineapple Became So Popular. This was originally published in the Paris Review and was reprinted with permission. The article notes that in 1496, when Columbus was returning from his second voyage to the Americas, he brought back a consignment of pineapples. Little little did he know that this golden gift nestled among the tame parrots, tomatoes, tobacco, and pumpkins would be the crowning glory of his cargo. The fateful pineapple that reached Spanish King Ferdinand II of Aragon was the sole survivor. It was the only specimen that had not dissolved into a sticky rot during the journey. Yet it produced enough of an impression for Peter Martyr, tutor to the Spanish princes, to record the first tasting. The most invincible King Ferdinand relates that he has eaten another fruit brought from these countries. It is like a pine nut in form and color, covered with scales and firmer than a melon. Its flavor excels all other fruits. The piece notes that at least part of the excitement came from the fruit's spiked form, which sent Europeans into rapture. The sweetness of the pineapple did not go unnoticed. Renaissance Europe was a world essentially bereft of common sweets. Sugar, refined from cane, was an expensive commodity, and orchard-grown fruits were subject to seasons. The pineapple may well have been the tastiest thing anyone had ever tasted. But delicious or otherwise, it was the preserve of adventurers, and the pineapple might never have made it into common lore if it hadn't coincided with yet another global development, the widespread dissemination of the written word. When sailors and scholars alike took up the pen to chronicle tales from the New World, its civilization, climate, flora, and fauna, wider knowledge of the pineapple led people to notice its glaring absence in the Bible and classic texts. The pineapple was free of the cultural resonances that that engulfed all other fruits. It was, as described by author Fran Bowman, a completely blank page onto which ruling powers could press their own meanings. It did not take long for the absolutist monarchy to co-opt the pineapple for its own purposes. 
In fact, the pineapple became a symbolic manifestation of the divine right of kings. During the English Civil War, Oliver Cromwell rebelled against the pineapple. It was read as evidence and its connections to divine right monarchs. When Charles II retook the British throne in 1660, a new era of plenty was ushered in. Casting aside the Puritanism of Cromwell, it was noted that in 1668, when the French ambassador came to England to mediate a heated debate over the island of St. Kitts in the West Indies, Charles II ordered a pineapple from Barbados, then an English colony, to be perched on top of a pyramid of fruit at dinner. It was a wily move to assert British ascendancy in the region and a public relations triumph. It seemed to relay, we can get pineapples and you can't. From then on, the pineapple became Charles II's favorite status symbol. There was a big effort made to grow them in the European continent, and with greenhouses, they eventually succeeded, although they had to burn coal inside of the greenhouses to keep them warm enough to simulate the tropical climate. Didn't help that the fruit took three or four years to bloom. The article notes that the cost of rearing each pineapple was equivalent to $8,000 in today's money. And that sheer expense meant it was considered wasteful to eat them. They remained, as during Charles II's reign, dinnertime ornaments. As status symbols, the Wedgwood Company, makers of fine china, began to produce tableware with pineapple themes for the upper classes. Carved stone pineapples appeared on plinths outside Grand Manor houses, pronouncing to passers-by the largesse and high standing of the family within. They adorned carriages, topped garden temples, figured in countless paintings, and were turned into enormous sculptures gracing country gardens. Pineapples had become synonymous with good taste, nobility, and limitless wealth. You know, living in an era of, uh, of cheap canned pineapple rings and, you know, Hawaiian pizzas, it's hard to believe that it was once a status symbol, but... There you have it. I would add in closing that I never really liked pineapple all that much until I went to Bali. I was knocked out by the pineapples they had there, and so were my mom and dad on a visit. And although members of my very own family earned a living for years growing pineapples on the Hawaiian Islands, I have to say that some of the versions in Latin America and Asia are just, just a whole different experience. Trust me on this one. And go eat some fresh pineapple in the tropics when you get a chance. That about does it. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and we will see you or hear you or you will hear us, if you don't see us, sometime soon. 